heard her before. But you've never heard her like this. It's Lena Wynn, unscripted and uncensored. You like that? I do, very much. Yeah? That was cool. How come you guys aren't dancing? I know, I was like... <laughs> if you ever saw me dance, you would know why I'm not dancing. <laughs> because white guys can't dance? I know, no, why just... Why you gotta bring race into this, Lena? Just me, just me. All right, we've got Ted Sullivan and Gwen Gotti in the studio with us today. Now, this wasn't a planned episode. It became an episode because I posted a picture of me and my white boyfriend, and someone commented on it, and the comment was... Of course you're with a white guy. It's always got to be a white guy. So I click on this guy's picture, and he's an Asian guy. To me, I was surprised and shocked to see something like that in today's world that someone has a problem with interracial dating. I posted something about it, and all of these people responded like, oh yeah, it could be even worse today. Even though we think we've we've made it far, we really haven't. So that's why we're talking about interracial dating. Uh, Gwen Gotti is a beautiful, tall, black woman. <laughs> with hair that's always perfect. <laughs> and uh, she has a white boyfriend. And I know that you've dealt with this because I've I've actually heard people ask you and talk to you about it. Um, Ted Sullivan. Yes. White man. Yes. Tall white man who cannot dance. <laughs> that's true. And you've dated like women of all races, right? Correct. Now, do they tend to not be white? I, I would say the majority. Yeah, I would say so. The majority are not white. Yes. Okay. Did you make a conscious decision or effort not to date white women? No. no. It depended on where I was living. Like uh, for a while, I lived in San Francisco, the Bay Area, and there it's a much more diverse and integrated city. And so a lot of the people that I met were people from Pakistan, India, um, Korea, Vietnam, that type of thing. Um, so it was just who was interesting. I'd never have thought like, oh, I'm not going to date a white person or I'm only going to date an Asian person. Or, it, that's That just seems like a bizarre thing. <laughs> right, to, right? Yes, that's, that seems to be a fetish. Yes, and we'll talk about that later because there really is a fine line between you find something attractive and you, you don't find other things attractive versus... A fetish. Well, or culture appropriation, mm-hmm. you know, which is an issue as well. Gwen, have you always dated white men or is it just be something you prefer or what? No, I haven't always dated white men. It's just whoever I basically kind of got along with. Mm-hmm. But it seemed to me that the white men always seemed to like me, kind of gravitate to me more uh-huh. than anybody. So, Did people ever give you any trouble for, for dating outside your race? Well, a few times I went to a Laker game and some guy said, what are you doing with that white man or something like that? But No, was this guy black? Yes, he that? was. Uh-huh. He was black. Just like the guy who commented on my social media, he was Asian. Um, have you ever experienced, Ted, people saying anything or, or acting out uh, there, you know? Some of the maybe older members of my family uh-huh. <laughs> had issues with me in, in the past. Um, they're not alive anymore, but... Uh, question why I would be doing that. But I I also just wrote that off as generational, which I wonder how much is generational. Like I, it seems to me that with younger people, people 30 and under, it seems to be less and less of a thing, a thing. Uh At least I hope that seems to be the case, but it, it, but it does seem to be the case in a certain way in a, in a way that I read statistics that said, um, that nose jobs uh, in plastic surgery have dropped by 90% in the past five years. Really? Which I found very interesting because it used to be, oh, I'm trying to get a nose that looks like Doris Day. Mm-hmm. You know, in that 1950s, we're all supposed to look the same. Mm-hmm. And now that seems to have shifted away that everyone's unique looks and, and backgrounds and personalities and everything that makes them unique is what makes them attractive. Right. And it is appreciated. Yes. I wonder because a lot of Asians get the, the eyelid surgery mm-hmm. and the nose job. It's because they think it looks better. You know, it's the mm-hmm. Anglo look that, that a lot of Asian women go for. Mm-hmm. I think for, I know a lot of men who like dating Asian women find them very attractive. And part of what they find attractive is the fact that it's just, it's the Asian look that made them attractive in the first place. Uh, it'll be interesting to look into stats to see if the eyelid, Asian eyelid surgery has gone down or the nose jabs or, or, or you know, whatever it is. Um, have you dated black men before, Glenn? Yes, I have. I've dated black men before. And my brother, he was married to a white woman, and he was in the military, 
And they gave him a lot of problems behind that. He was in South Dakota, and I think they were pretty racist back there. That's another thing. is depending on, yeah. on where you live. We're in California, so yeah. we're lucky that we see a lot of diversity all the time. So but he has a biracial son. He was married to a white woman, and they gave him an honorable discharge or something because of that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's amazing yeah. that, that, yeah. that that could even happen. Yeah. But you were saying that, you know, the comment you got at the Lakers game was, was from a, a black guy. Yeah. Um, the comment I got was, was from an Asian guy. And the comments I've gotten in the past have also been Asians not approving of me dating outside my race. And I think that they feel like, what, we Asian men aren't good enough? Well, no, that has nothing to do with it. Um, but it's this feeling of... Of you making your race look bad because you didn't find anyone in your race. Uh, you putting down your race because you think someone white is better. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, I mean, coming out of my mouth, it just sounds so ridiculous. And yet, I think there are people who think this way. Yes. I, I mean, I, I just, I can't begin to understand, although I know this is bad, the Asian culture. We want other people to accept us. We don't want other people to be racist against us. However... There are a lot of Asians who are racist against other people. Like, it might be okay for an Asian girl to date a white guy, but if an Asian girl dates a black guy, then, you know, mom and dad go crazy and it's a big problem. Can you make sense of this? I don't think there's a way to make sense of racism because it's kind of the... If you judge someone by race, sexuality, or their gender, mm-hmm. it's the three dumbest ways to, <laughs> to make a decision about someone. Trying to make sense of it is like trying to argue with a drunk person. You're never going to find a logic there. other Because right. the, the core belief is, I don't like them because of something that they were born with. There's no way to make sense out of it. It's right. just part of, I think, tribalism. Uh, it's part of fear of and, and, and a xenophobia. And mm-hmm. really, you're only going to get beyond that if you're allowing yourself to explore other cultures and other ideas and accept people at a base level, at a face level, and say, I'm going to listen to you, and I'm going to see what you think and what you believe and hopefully learn something. You cannot like someone if they end up being a jackass right. you know, or an right. idiot. Right. That's why you know, when you ask, have I dated people just because they are Indian or Persian or no, I dated them because they were really interesting. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like they look at you, Lena, when you're with Denny differently? Like people, yeah. I mean, sometimes I feel that we get looks from, and it's mostly from Asians. Thank goodness it doesn't happen that much anymore. But it's this disapproval in their mm-hmm. eyes, and it's normally the Asian guys. I can't tell you how many times I've been asked on social media, "What you don't like Asian guys?" or "Have you ever dated Asian?" Well, yes, I have dated Asian guys. And it has nothing to do with the fact that they were Asian, mm-hmm. nor does the fact that I date a white guy have anything to do with the fact that he was white. Now, what a lot of people don't understand is, for me, it has to do with who your circles are, where your circles are. I was in TV news, you know, well before every other Asian girl wanted to be on TV. And my friends were mostly white. I mean, that's just the way it was. Mm-hmm. I met people at work, mm-hmm. you know. I dated people at work. The, the college I went to, my high school in Apple Valley, Minnesota, was mostly white. So it was never a conscious decision. It's just what I'm exposed to. Exactly. And I think that's what you're talking about when you say that you lived in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. You're right? Uh, Yes, which was very different than when I was living in Boston. Did you date some white girls in Boston? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's everyone was Irish, basically. There you go. That's who I was basically exposed to. Uh Uh-huh. And that was the pool that you you had to pull from. When you're a white guy, you get, you hear, a, in, it's like in the locker room, you mm-hmm. hear the guys. Part of what you may be hearing from some people on having a knee-jerk reaction to seeing an Asian woman with a white guy is there is a, a subset of white men who do fetishize um, Asian, uh, Asian, Asian or, or any other culture that is not white and mm-hmm. that will exclusively... I find her attractive just because Because. she's Asian or just because she's black or just because she's Latina, because they're fulfilling a fantasy that they are carrying in their head of like, well, they're they're submissive or they're wild. It's not just about race then, because then what you're talking about is also it's also about sex. It's sex and this. The stereotypes of the different races. Right. Right. That, you know, that black girls might be freakier than white girls or that Asian women might be submissive and serve their men or or, or whatever. So that that element could also fuel 
certain people for being upset because they're painting with one brush Mm -hmm. every relationship that they see because there are certain people that do do that. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean every relationship is that way, but you can have a knee-jerk reaction to assuming that that must be the case. And I asked my boyfriend if he's ever dated him. I always ask my dad, too. And he said, no, kind of no. He didn't really, he wasn't too open about it. (laughs) I I I can really get a good answer. Uh huh. But I don't really think so. I've I think on every single guy I've dated, I have asked, uh, "Have you dated Asian women before?" And like, how many? Is it all that you do? Because I refuse mm-hmm. to date anyone who they've got a thing mm-hmm. for Asian women. I just it feels I don't whatever. I just won't do it. Well, that's creepy. It is. <laughs> I mean, it's just basically creepy. Do you ever get asked that question? I I have been asked that by literally every. Asian woman that I've dated. (laughs) Yes. Because we got to think about that. We don't want to be, we don't want to be in your life just because you got a thing for Asians. Like I said, there is a subset of men, maybe particularly white men that have done that. Yep. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can absolutely understand what the the reaction of, if you have only (laughs) dated Asian women, then that, that's different. Uh, A friend of mine said, you know, it's different than saying I like blondes to saying mm-hmm. I like an entire race of mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. Or, or a culture of people. Right, right. Then you're not seeing the person for who they are. You're seeing them as a representative of some fantasy that you have. And that's that gets into really disturbing and, mm-hmm. and dehumanizing point of view. Oh, ab- absolutely. What are some of the names that we call these people? And some of these I've never heard of before. You've heard of an egg. Yes, uh, white on the outside, yellow. On the <laughs> okay, very good. Yeah, or or Uncle Tom, or some stuff like what? that. <laughs> right, banana, yeah. Twinkie. Banana, mm-hmm. Twinkie. Those are things I've mm-hmm. never, really? I've never heard about. Mm-hmm. So, like for you, yeah, Oreo. Mm-hmm. Black on the outside, <laughs> white on the inside. <laughs> and here's the thing: is that I am not so uptight about it that I can't laugh at at, at some of that stuff, right? I mean, yeah, I've dated mostly white guys. And it's not all because of that's all that I'm I'm exposed to. Then it comes down to just preference. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's just like you said, some guys prefer blondes. Mm-hmm. And you'll look back and you'll see that, God, they dated almost all mostly right. blondes. Right. How dare they? Um, so it also comes down to there's just a preference sometimes where I've dated Asian guys, but I like like I like big guys, right? I like big tall men with a husky Although Danny's not. Um, <laughs> um, but he climbs mountains. But he He's climbs a man. Mountains, right. you know? um, <laughs> it also comes down to there are just some people who have preferences. When does it become a fetish? And I don't think that people who have those fetishes actually know that it's a fetish. Because to them, it may not feel like a fetish. It's not like liking my big toe sucked. Right. Mm-hmm. right. I'm not sure that they're aware that their preferences are actually a fetish. Don't you think that in the same way that people who are racist don't think Don't realize they're racist. They're racist. Right. Absolutely. So that you're not taking a step back to understand that you are sexualizing an individual based completely on who they are um, genetically as opposed to who they are as a person. Mm-hmm. And they always talk about black men. Are they bigger than white men? Right. Back to Once the, you back go to the black, whole... you never go back mm-hmm. and all that. And I don't, that's not true at all. Well, you've certainly proved that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? But the, yeah. the hope is as, as younger people have less of, um, of a hang-up hang on that, that the more that you have interracial dating, the more that you have exposure to other people, cultures, and ideas, that that's where the strength comes as a community, because then you take the fear out of each other. I I think you become a stronger culture the more that you listen and interact with each other. You you learn that India is different from Pakistan, which most Americans don't Mm -hmm. even think about, you know, or that you meet people from the Middle East or that you meet people from that the culture of Korea is very different from the culture of Vietnam, very different from the culture of Japan. And most Americans just lump it as Asia. Right. And when you start to interact with people, you become more interesting. The world becomes more interesting and you find various culture makes life more colorful and Mm -hmm. stronger. Then you get to judge people for who they are individually. Mm -hmm. And that's, 
That's Mm -hmm. why you end up dating who you end up dating, hopefully. It's Mm -hmm. not because of who they look like. It's who they are. And a lot of the times, black men, they won't even look at me. Like, most of the time. If if I walk past them, a lot of them won't even look at me. Well, actually, that that brings up a a question. How do you feel when black men will only date white women? Do you feel a sense of, are you offended by that? Never. I've never been offended by it. A lot. I hear a lot of black women saying that. Every time you get some money, they always get a white woman, you know, Mm -hmm. stuff like that, but... Right. I don't care. I don't even look at the person's skin color. I'm just, if you get along with them, and that's all that matters to me, you know. And I think uh, sometimes the uh, interracial couples who um, are met with racism or, or any kind of, you know, because of the fact that they're dating each other, the person on the other end of it may not even realize that they're being racist or or being in any way judgmental. Mm-hmm. For instance, I have a friend, Doug Holdren, who's a, a worked with in Sacramento, white, Asian wife. They have two kids. And the kids um, look more Asian than white. So they'll all go to a restaurant. So it's mom, you know, the two kids, and, and Doug's there. You know, she puts in for a table of, uh, table of four. They're all there. And the hostess will say, is the rest of your party here yet? Even though her white husband is standing right there because they just they just don't put them together. Mm-hmm. And I've heard of people being with their significant other and having other people hit on them because mm-hmm. they just assume exactly. you're not dating. Yeah. Has that happened yeah. to you? It has. Absolutely. Tell me about it. And they, like if I go in a restaurant, they go, oh, are you two together? Or, or how many? And they say, well, I'm standing here with him. It's two of us, you know? Uh-huh. So, yeah, I've got that a lot. And a lot of white women, they do stare sometimes when I walk in the room with Ted. They'll mm-hmm. look at me, and then they'll look at him. And then they'll smile, or they'll say, oh, you're beautiful, or your hair, or something like that. So I usually get pretty good response. But usually the black men, they, they can't figure it out, mm-hmm. you know? Well, that, that's the thing, is that they're trying to figure out. What is there to figure out? These two exactly. people love each other. Exactly. Right? right. Is when we, we try to explain it, mm-hmm. sometimes there's just no explanation, right? Right. It's true. I I wonder what life will be like 20 years from now. We're in this weird, what I hope is the death rattle of an old school way of thinking. I think that's where Trump has come from. I think that's where that Fox News bubble has come from in the sense of when you hear, well, it's not the same America. I want to go back to what it was in the 1950s. That's the America that I miss. Well, that was an America that worked for a very select group of people. So when I hear people say that, or I have family members that say that, you say, well, you want to go back to when it worked for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it didn't work for the vast majority of other people. If you were were Latino, you were basically invisible. If you were Asian, you were really invisible. If you were African-American, you were a second-class citizen. Um, if you were a white male, it worked for you. Mm-hmm. But if you're, well, a, and you know what, it still does. Right, of course. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's what I mean. And 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 if you were a gay person, you it was illegal. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So it was a horrible time for everyone other than white male. And it's still a great time to be a white male. And if you don't acknowledge that and recognize that we live in a Western dominated society that has been specifically designed to help white males and, but more than that, suppress everyone else. If you don't recognize that, then you won't be part of the solution of fixing that and helping to make change. I will admit that for myself, it really took till I was in my mid thirties and I, I was writing a TV show called Revenge and I was the only white straight male in the room. It was a room of gay, lesbian, African-American Asian and Latino. Mm-hmm. And one of my one of my friends, Shannon, who's great, great writer, she turned to me and said, oh, you're our diversity hire. That's great. <laughs> um, but for me, it was the first time of being the only straight white guy in the room and realizing there are other points of view and stories and also recognizing that I have lived a very, very privileged life. I have lived a life that was tailor made to help me succeed. But again, more than that, to derail other people, women, people of color, people of the LGBTQ community. And if you don't take responsibility for that and try to make active change for that, you're not part of the solution. And I really hope that the more we stop worrying about interracial dating and we just 
focus on interacting with people and seeing people for who they are and the strength of their diversity and their unique points of view, it'll make life a lot better. And did you have brothers or sisters that judge you because you dated other? Oh, no. 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 I mean, I have a brother who is, he's a spectacular person. Mm -hmm. He is a spectacular father and he is, I can see it in his two sons. He has twins. Just to put into context for the type of kids, these they're 13 year old. My brother and I were playing Kiss, Mary, Kill as a joke. <laughs> and and one of the boys said, wait a second, is she consenting for the kiss? Because if not, this isn't a fun game. And we said, all right, let's stop playing the game. You know, but, but that's so from that standpoint, my my family has been very liberal, open minded, which is great. Where'd you uh, grow up? I grew up in Boston, which was not um, an open-minded town. Right. I do not have a lot of good memories about growing up there. I was also just felt weird and different because I was an artistic person. I didn't like sports. I didn't like... By, by the way, Ted Sullivan, I cannot wait to see what else you're going to work on. And I wish that more people in the industry thought and felt like you because that has to come out in your creative work. You can't be a racist, sexist person as a writer in Hollywood and write stuff that is going to help that the cause, right? Right. I will say I, I have been part now of a couple of shows, um, Supergirl and Star Trek, that I have been very touched and moved to see, even in the case of Star Trek, our first season when we were at Comic-Con, all the questions that were asked to the panel from the audience were white straight males. This year... Uh, we have a very diverse cast. We have uh, an African-American woman, Sonequa Martin-Green, as our lead. We have Michelle Yeoh, who uh, was our first Asian captain as a, a starship captain. We have Anthony Rapp and Wilson Cruz as the first openly gay interracial hmm. um, couple. Our cast is incredibly diverse and inclusive. And uh, Shazad Latif, who's Pakistani and it's wonderful. And to see the questions this year came, we had, I think, 14 questions. Only one was from a white mm. male. Everyone else was from people of color, women, LGBTQ community. It was spectacular. It awesome. made you feel very good. Awesome. And so I'm very proud to be part of a couple of shows that have had that kind of impact. Entertainment and media have a massive impact on culture and, and changing people's perspectives. If you think back, I mean, for me, I think back to... I grew up in Boston and I was very scared of gay people. I was very scared of other cultures. I was, I mean, I wouldn't even go to a Chinese restaurant. I mean, seriously, because growing up in the 70s and 80s in Boston, it was you're Irish or you're Italian right. or you're Jewish. And that's kind of it. Boy, you didn't know mm -hmm. what you were missing, huh? I didn't. And then when we moved to San Francisco, my oh, entire wow. mind got blown. Sure. I mean, I remember my first six months there. My school in Palo Alto was suddenly a very interracial group. And I was like, oh, well, this is interesting. And then someone took me to see Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I'm like, blue, you know, when you're a boy from Boston, you're like, what is going on? This is fantastic. So I think that just changed my life. Mm -hmm. That just opened mm -hmm. my perspective. And I continue to try to seek out experiences and people that will challenge my, my thoughts and my preconceptions Challenge I, your horizons, right? I yes. Mean, and the one other thing that's the, the kind of side note to that is when I was a kid between the ages of 10 and like 13, uh, our family moved to Switzerland and I went to Ecolam, which was an international school. So every kid in my class was from a different country, people from Kenya and Saudi Arabia and uh, India and Afghanistan. And you're like, oh, wait, we're in Ireland. Ireland or, you know, everywhere that you can imagine, because most of those kids were going, had parents who were in the UN. And that's where you'd like, oh, well, oh, so what's, what's Hinduism? All I knew was Catholicism in Boston. It changed my life it, that, in, a, in a major way. And I think it laid the groundwork to being more open to wanting new experiences mm -hmm. and meeting people that weren't you know, just Billy Callahan down right. the street. Well, but, but then that should help you understand the other side. And that is people who've never been exposed to anything else. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you're back there, even scared to try Chinese food, think about it. If you were growing in a lot of these Midwestern uh, cities where you weren't exposed to anything else, 
that they can't help it, that some of them can't help having the the you know prejudices that they do because they grew up that way. Sure. And I'll give you a perfect example. My brother, Paul Sullivan, uh, for a long time was a stand-up comedian. And he would travel, you know, he would get booked on these tours. And he traveled, uh, he, he told me the first show he did in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And he was at this club and he gets introduced as New York comedian Paul Sullivan. Mm-hmm. And he goes up on stage before he says anything, someone yells out, you damn Jew. Oh. And he just looked at them and said, not only is that wrong, but it's wrong. My name's Sullivan. What's the matter with you? But I think from their context, they just heard New York has to be sure. Jew. And that really stems from a lack of exposure yep. to other culture. Mm-hmm. When I first worked in TV, I was in Augusta, Georgia. And I'd come to uh, you know someone's door, knock on their doors like we always do to try to get an interview. And they'd be like, oh, you're that Chinese girl, aren't you? And one person actually asked me if I was Connie Chung, and they weren't joking. They really thought I was Connie Chung, because that's the one Asian they've ever seen on TV. I I laughed it off, and I never was ever upset by any of that, because I just understood that there is a level of ignorance. And and by ignorance, I mean, they just, they didn't know any better. That's where a lot of this comes from. Before the internet, before social media, before all the stuff that you see on TV now. You would expect that. Now that our world is so much more open, it's still amazing to me that there are people who've never left their hometown, who've never really sat down with a person of another race. I've never sat down with anyone from Pakistan, talked to them. uh, And all they know about Middle Eastern is what they see on the news, Mm -hmm. right? So on one hand, I do understand where it comes from. I think what is happening is the more people get exposed to other cultures, but only through a TV or mm-hmm. only through a Facebook feed. Or it's mostly stereotypical, though. Exactly. But when you can actually interact with someone in an interpersonal way, the first reaction they have is, oh, well, she's one of the good ones. <laughs> but then the more you go along, you go, oh, well, maybe there's a lot more good ones. Uh-huh. And then the deeper you go, you go like, oh, but there's also some jackasses. And then you say, oh, wait, everyone's a person. Mm-hmm. My mom was in the um, space program when I was a kid, and I got to meet Buzz Aldrin. And I asked him a question. I said, what uh, struck you about looking back on the Earth when you were standing on the moon? And he said, no lines. And I didn't understand what he meant. And he, he explained that whenever he would look at a map or a globe, it always had lines uh, on it. Sure, the graph, huh? You know, so longitude, to say, longitude. But also where the oh, oh, you mean countries, lines to, uh-huh. the countries were divided. And that when you look at it now, without lines, you realize we're all just living on a rock hurtling through space. (laughs) We're all just people. Mm -hmm. My hope is the more that we have actual interaction as opposed to just reading news feeds on a Facebook, we will start to see the equivalent of no lines amongst people. Because if we just take off the skin, Mm -hmm. the outer layer, it's all the same. It's exactly the same. That's what I... And then when I first first met my boyfriend, he would say, oh, yeah, I know that colored girl, Pat. And I was like, colored? Does he had really used these know, words, really? Because he didn't really know how to not talk this to Ted. me. <laughs> no, no, not, not you, Ted. Her yeah, no, boyfriend, yeah. Ted. And he didn't really know how to talk to me. He was like, colored. And I was like, not colored, honey, black. So he didn't oh, that's know. that's super interesting that, that and he your boyfriend, really know, how, yeah. how long have you guys been together now? Probably like eight, nine years. You and Ted? Uh-huh. I think. Wow, I, I didn't realize it was yeah. that long. But when you first met him, so he had not dated a black no, woman not before. At all. And he was like, yeah, I like that colored girl on TV. And I was like, colored? <laughs> so you're educating them. Yeah. So I had to say, not colored, honey, it's black. It's okay to say black, not so colored. then you <laughs> should totally get what Ted is talking yeah. about, that it's it's what they're exposed to. I mean, he didn't know any better, like to no, him. he didn't. And his family, they treat me great. It's like, I don't feel any different with any of them. His son's great. Have you ever been in a situation when you're with him or with him and his family and then their friends come over or or you're in public and you can just see that someone is thinking something because I've gotten good enough where I can feel it when someone's I looking at you and it's different. I haven't felt that. Girl, you're lucky. Yeah. No, I've definitely felt that. You did? You have. Oh, yeah. I dated very seriously a woman whose father was a rabbi who really did not like me. I had um, a long relationship with... Um, a woman I cared about very much, who was Vietnamese, whose mother did not trust me mm-hmm. at all, just just because of... Because you're white. Yeah. But in general, that just hasn't been 
much of an issue, but those were definitely two things that stood out as um, it was uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but I think it was uncomfortable for my first girlfriend I mentioned who would come and my, my relatives were very uncomfortable. You know, my older relatives were mm-hmm. very uncomfortable that she was Jewish. And that was definitely something that really struck me as what a dumb thing. I, I really believe. To not like someone for? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I really, I, I, when I meet someone or have some type of exchange, especially on, on, on social media, it's stunning to me how openly racist or openly sexist or openly homophobic people are. people are because it is so anonymous and they get to voice what they feel without any repercussions yeah. at all. If you say it in person, you're really actually putting yourself out there right. for someone to say uh, other people also to step in when you're on social media you are yelling from the darkness. I've said it before. Mm-hmm. Social media is is awful. I think it's the beginning of the end for us. And, and people are saying stuff that they would never, ever say, right? Yes. I mean, I guess some of that is good is that then you really get to see people for who they are. But it's the thing that you're talking about. It's the social media <laughs> trolling where you can go out there and just stab people with your words and not be held accountable for any of it is mm-hmm. frightening. What, what I'd love to have happen in culture is to use social media to realize who the the idiots are. So like if, <laughs> there for are instance, many of them. <laughs> and there are many, but I mean if your argument is I hate Barack Obama because he's black. Right. Then well you don't have a a leg to stand on. So then what we should do is just say, well you're allowed to think that, you're allowed to believe that, but we don't have to listen to you. This idea of, well, every point of view counts. Well, it doesn't. Every point of view, you're allowed to have whatever point of view you have. Your point of view has consequences. Mm -hmm. Your words have consequences. And I wish, we're we're certainly not there, but I wish, like, for instance, in Washington, they would just say, oh, well, yeah, that's just a crazy racist, so we don't need to worry about them. Yes, crazy racists go out and vote, but there's more of us who aren't crazy racists. Unfortunately, it only seems to be a slight majority Mm -hmm. because... When, when they ask, I guess there was that poll that said, is, is Trump racist? And I think only 49% of America or 50% of America said yes. So that means 50% don't think he's a racist. Right. And so then 50% think, then that basically means they agree with him. <laughs> so I, I, I also do feel that there's a bit of a death rattle of, and this is what I was going to say before, to that old school ideology and isolationism. And I think you see it all around the world. It's happening in Germany. It's happening in France. It's certainly happening in the Middle East. It's absolutely happening here. And it's this school of, you know, 50 and above who want it to go back to how it was before the Internet, before before we had to be exposed to other people. Mm-hmm. And how do um, your parents feel that you dated? They wanted me to marry Vietnamese. And when I was dating Mike, uh, they didn't approve of it. And it was very painful for me. And I grew up with such a tight-knit family that I respected everything and I needed my parents' blessing for everything that I broke up with him because my mom and dad didn't approve. And then I dated someone else, but I was attracted to, you know, another Italian guy. And and we were back at it again. So finally, I said, fine, I'm just not going to get married because to find someone to make me happy is hard enough. To then find that person who also makes you happy could be impossible. I'm just not going to get married. And that freaked her out. So she, you know, she stepped back and, and, and let me do whatever. And then his uh, parents were from New Jersey. They were so sweet because they asked Mike when I first went to meet him for the first time, is there anything that that we need to know? How can we make her more comfortable? And he said, nothing special. She's just, I mean, she might take off shoes when she comes in the house because I do, I always do that. And, oh, okay, so I went there, and it was like winter. Mom comes out in bare feet because she wants to make me feel comfortable. (laughs) It was so sweet. But now my parents are, I don't know if it's their age or what, they have become so accepting of everything. Mm -hmm. I have a friend who's a transgender, and my mom just loves her. 20 years ago, I would have thought, no, but they've just become more accepting because they were exposed to her. Right. Now, if they just heard that, okay, well, she used to be a guy and, you know, mm-hmm. that might be different. And so it, again, comes back to what you experience, what exactly. you're exposed to, the opportunities you give yourself to be able to understand better. Mm-hmm. Everyone else wants to close himself off. You talk about our future and what you wish for the future. 
looking at everything today, taking politics out of it, because that's a whole nother show. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we're moving forward because it seemed as if we were. And then suddenly it's okay to speak these racist views. And then, you know, we're taught to, well, everyone's allowed to have their opinion, which they are. But it's this, well, you can't attack him for that opinion. But some of these opinions are just wrong. And at some point, people need to stand up and say, no, I understand you feel that way, but it's wrong. Like some people think it's okay to molest little kids, right? Right. Yeah. Right. It's wrong. So at some point, we need to get away from the political correctness part of everyone's entitled to their opinion. Bullshit. Because if that opinion is hurtful and harmful... It's wrong. Right. And they need to be told that. Right. Yes. The lack of shame for things like racism and sexism and homophobia that seems to have bubbled up over the past five or six years, which I think is a reaction to the acceptance that was happening for a long time. I th- that's the problem. And that's what I meant where I well, said- Well, they were resisting change. Exactly. And, I, and that's why I was saying that I think if we can get to a place where we say, are comfortable enough of saying, you're wrong for thinking that. You can believe it, but you're wrong. Your voice doesn't really matter right now in this public policy or however we're going to act. Because if you see someone beating someone up, that's wrong. You know that's wrong. Being a hate crime or or screaming epithets at someone, that's a verbal assault. Mm-hmm. And so we have to start looking at it from that standpoint. The same way that if you sexually assault someone... It's very similar emotionally to when you are beaten beaten, or, or if you're harassing someone constantly at work or making them feel very uncomfortable uh, with your sexuality and the unwanted sexuality. That's wrong, too. And, and we're hearing a lot of confusion about that, but it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. I'm not confused. Right. Uh, so stepping away from just the dating thing, you know, you've lived long enough to experience a lot of things. Gwen, do you find in your life today, that you are always treated equally as a black woman? Or do you still find that you're treated differently? Differently. A little bit differently. But not as far as dating, just just still. I think because of my age and I, I do feel that now, especially with my work at the workplace and things like that, I feel different. I know you talk, Ted, that because you actually come from a place of understanding that I'm amazed at. And I'm not one of those women who, you know, female power or or any of that stuff, white males, and I have a lot of friends who are white males, are complaining that they're the new minority. Uh Uh-uh. Well, but that's impossible. (laughs) It's just, I mean, I- I They may feel that way in their personal experiences with whatever they have going on. But really, when you stand back and look at us as a whole, being a white male is still the best thing that you can be in most instances. Oh, of course. There, there, the, what's the Chris Rock bit he did where he said that there's a right now there's a busboy with one leg who's white who's who wouldn't switch places with me. He's like, yeah, no, no, I'll, I'll, I'm still going to ride this white thing out. So I, I, that's what I meant before when you said if you're not willing to accept as a white straight male that the whole Western society has been designed specifically to assist you and oppress everyone else. One, you won't recognize that there's a problem. In the same way, the Supreme the Supreme Court right now has a almost majority that won't even admit that uh, sexual harassment or that sexual uh, discrimination is a problem anymore, or that racial discrimination is a problem anymore, which is why they want to get rid of the, the voter right protection. All of those things, that, that's the equivalent of saying we fixed it. Why? Because we elected a black president mm-hmm. <laughs> that it's that didn't fix it. In fact, I think a lot of what we're seeing with some of the racism and sexism that is really bubbling up and unapologetic racism and sexism mm-hmm. is thinking, oh, we've swung too far the other way, which is no, we mm-hmm. haven't. <laughs> yeah, but people think that. And if we just go back several years Okay, let's put us back several years and we're still reading the tweets and the posts and the stuff that people are, we would we would be amazed, right? We would be amazed that, no, you can't publicly say that anymore. Now it's become completely acceptable yeah. for you to publicly be racist right. or publicly be sexist or whatever. Although I think we're moving a little bit farther on the sexist part. Yes. The women group is a lot larger than the black group or the Asian group or, or whatever. But uh, we, boy, we just still have a long way to go. I want to see shows and 
movies and stuff written by people who come from a place of understanding and acceptance like you. Well, thanks. I, I will also say there is great power in the media because I think for me personally, I look back at shows like uh, Queer Eye for the Straight uh -huh. Guy when it first came on the air. And I was like, why would I ever watch this? And then I found myself getting involved right, and emotionally involved. And you started seeing, oh, here's five different guys who would then go in and interact with a straight guy <laughs> and make their life better. And that was really interesting. And then Tim Gunn on on uh, that, that fashion show, uh, Project Runway. Runway. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and all the people on that show, suddenly you, you, there were lesbian, uh, gay men, and you went, Oh, this is, I think RuPaul's Drag Race is another one mm -hmm. where you watch that show and you go, here's some interesting, compassionate, right? emotional stories. And this new Queer Eye on, on Netflix. Was that good? I, I, I ball at the show because it's, it is so well produced and, mm -hmm. it is, and each one of these characters or people. What about Poise? Have you seen that one? I haven't seen oh, that one yet. Is it Poise? Or oh, 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 Posse? Or po uh, po Oh my uh, lord! I I even know that. I know it's P O S E. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's really good <laughs> yeah. and really interesting. It's kind of emotional, and, these guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I think that that's when media works the best. Mm -hmm. There's always an agenda when you're watching one of these shows that have uh, a negative spin on it, or you know. And the, there's so many of them. Yes. Like all the housewives are fighting yeah, and pulling exactly. their hair out. That's a perfect you know, example. Yeah. Always. You turn to there and they're fighting, calling each other hoes and bitches. And it's just, we need more positive shows, you know? Something yeah. people can feel I good completely about. agree. Because, like, those shows in particular, to me, amplify stereotypes mm -hmm. and negative stereotypes because they're easy and they're fun. Mm -hmm. Have you guys seen oh, The Shaws of Sunset? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I haven't seen that yet. <clears throat> now, yeah. after I quit KCAL, I was actually approached by someone because they were looking for the Asian equivalents yeah. to Shaws of Sunset. I haven't watched it. I just know that any reality TV is probably awful and mm -hmm. is a really good way to like, you know, push your whole family off the ledge. Um, but you're right in that a lot of these, and that's why they're so popular is people love, that's why the news will always have something to do. Bad news sells. Mm -hmm. People complain about it, but they still watch it. Because mm -hmm. if all we did was good news, actually people wouldn't watch. People complain about the chases, but they still watch. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these shows, it's the stereotypical stuff. It's making them look bad. And people love to see people being bad. To me, it's the same. I, I used to be in comedy uh, with my brother. You would hear people talk about Milton Berle or like the, the old classic... Oh comics and then when you would go back and look at their stuff most of their stuff was sexist and racist mm -hmm. it was the most easy basic oh that guy's an italian that guy's an irish that guy's black like and when you listen to it now from a modern perspective you say that's the hackiest dumbest crappiest <laughs> humor it is mean-spirited and awful and so i'm much more interested in the comedy that's going on now because the voices are different uh, the Hannah Gatsby special on Netflix was was mind blowing and life changing for me because uh, she talked about being different, being a lesbian, growing up in New Zealand, and and sexual trauma. And I've had my own uh, trauma in my life, and so to have someone who voiced it and made it be so authentic and brave and bold and say this isn't right and we need to start talking about it in a different way, that's the type of comedy and that's the type of performance I want to see. But I think a lot of the housewives, a lot of that reality TV that you were talking about, it's, it's, so it's old school. It it's old, it's like watching Milton Berle, you yeah, know? It's, it's awful. Yeah. I've, I've actually I've never, I've yeah, never watched them. It's terrible. Won't yeah. take I just look at it for the makeup and the <laughs> Your first paying job ever. A uh, camp counselor in Weston, Massachusetts. They paid you for that? They did. Well, I was, uh, yeah, you were, it was a full-time summertime <laughs> job. Um, and, you know, you had, I had 20 kids that I was responsible for. We made an awesome haunted mansion that oh. um, scared kids so much they stopped coming to it. <laughs> How old were you? I was 15. 15. All right. I worked at a uh, parks and recreation. I worked at a school at a swimming pool. Yeah. And where they had the little locker areas, and you'd give them a key to put their clothes oh, so in. So you were the attendant? Yeah. The locker room attendant? Uh -huh. I was like 14 years old. Wow, everyone works around that age. Yeah. Do, do you remember how much you made back then? 
It was like a dollar. It wasn't that much, but it was enough to buy my school clothes. All right. Yeah. Very nice. And I would give my check to my mom, and she'd go buy my school clothes for me. Uh, best mistake you ever made? Best mistake I ever made was, it's weird to call it a mistake, but I, I made a feature film with my brother um, that ended up being a very problematic uh, production I went into it with a massive amount of confidence uh, <laughs> and realized I had no idea what I was doing. Uh-huh. I made many, many, many mistakes making the movie from a writing, production, and post-production standpoint. But it soon taught me that I learn more from mistakes than I do from success. Absolutely. The best mistake yeah, was like- probably when I moved from Riverside to L.A. Why was that bad? And because why- I probably could have... I've done more in, in Riverside. The rent was cheaper, things were cheaper, but I wanted to go to Hollywood to, and my parents begged me, why are you moving there? You could open up a store here or you could do so much more here. I think I could have did better there. Mm-hmm. But then why would you call it the best mistake though? But d- didn't moving to Hollywood open it, up other stuff for you? It did, but at the end, it, it was it's a disaster. So you wish you'd, you hadn't. That's yeah. actually a regret. So actually, it's just a big mistake. Yeah. Um, if you could do anything else other than what you're doing now with guaranteed success, I would have liked to be an agent, talent agent. Like, really? Or like a What's modeling a- agent, because when I was young, I always gave fashion shows. So you're always like giving people, you know, advice on their makeup and their dress, and yeah. you know how to look better, walk better, and stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so that that's so you would have liked to be a talent agent. Mm-hmm. I would want to be a public defender. Really? Yeah. I, wow. I um, I thought about going to law school. I mm. think if I could wave a magic wand and go back in time, I would do that instead of... Now, why public defender? Um, I find public defense to be a key and deeply misunderstood part of the law from the general public. I think so, because I'm sitting here wondering why the hell you said public defender. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, I, I think a good public defender is a real superhero. I think that they are yeah. ensuring that the justice system is supposed is working the way it's supposed to. And I think that there is a massive amount of, let's call it corruption, um, in the way that people are persecuted and prosecuted. Mm-hmm. And I think that it would be nice to have, I, I be a part of trying to undo some of that. The system is awful, actually. If you have money, the system's great. Right. And if you don't, very often you cannot win. Prosecutors have careers that are based on their win losses. Mm. And so they tend to find ways to stack the deck to make sure that they win. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times the public defenders will just are so overworked or don't have the opportunity or, you know, to to do what's right or do what's best. And so you plea bargain and all that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And that stuff follows you for the rest of your life. It would be nice to be, in my mind, mm-hmm. in, in your question, to guarantee success. Well, that means I would have been a good public defender. So. If I'm ever wrongly accused, I want you I want you on my team. Well, <laughs> I have to go to law school. First. Okay. <laughs> uh, your favorite dive to eat at? Well, I used to eat at this place called Bongo Johnny. Bongo Johnny's? Where's that? It's, it was in Palm Springs. Yeah, I liked eating there because I've, the food was good. I felt safe. It wasn't the best place to eat, <laughs> but I just felt safe and I knew the guys wouldn't hit on me. Uh, what kind of food was it? it they had I, all kinds of food. They had like sandwiches and, you know, hamburgers Is it and still salads. Open? They got burned down. Oh, no. But it was, I felt safe there. Because, you know, sometimes you go out and eat and guys are like, hey, baby, what's your name? You know, I was tired <laughs> of that. So I was like, let me go to this little hole in the wall and eat and be you know, away from all that and I can be comfortable. That's good. Yeah. In San Francisco, there was a place called uh, the Abbey Tavern, which was an Irish pub with a lot of Irish people in it. Uh-huh. And, uh, I like that place. What, that, to get away from all the Asians that you're... Uh... No, it's just, it's just, it was a cool place and it was, they had good whiskey and good conversation. Nice. Um, but in in Santa Monica, there's, it's not really a dive, but there's a place called Coogies. I just love Coogies. Coogies. It's on Santa Monica. It's, it's family owned. It's old school Santa Monica. It's... It, what, what is, what food? Just like a diner. Oh, okay. 
I love the food. I love mm-hmm. the the husband and wife that own it, and the staff is just awesome. They're best waiters in all of LA. Oh, so, so you, you, you normally don't hear that. I will eat mediocre food with great service before I eat awesome food with mm-hmm. bad service. It's simple. Listen, Coogies is simple, but the food's dynamite, and the, the waiters are the best. I'm going to have to try them out. Yeah. Okay, and then if you could ask me anything, what would you ask me? Okay, what do you do to pull yourself out of a funk? Oh, Wow. Well, that can't be a simple answer. Um, You always have to think positively. So when you get in a funk, you can't get motivated or everything seems to be happening to you and you come down on everything. And I know it sounds so simple and corny. You have to stand back and look at what's right. I say this to my mom, like when my mom complains about something, I always say to her, listen, your kids never got into drugs. We didn't end up in prison. You never had to bail us out. I actually take solace in the fact that there are people worse off than me. And I know that sounds horrible, but what it does is it pulls me out of this. I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. I should be grateful for what I have. Grateful that I'm in the position I am now and not in a worse position because I know there are people in in worse positions. Of course, it's always easier said than done, but I very often will remind myself how fortunate I am and that whatever I'm going through right now, it too shall pass. And that always, always happens. You will get past whatever it is right now. Not just being able to look forward to the you know light at the end of the tunnel. It's actually being able to look back and realizing how lucky you are to be where you are now. That's great. That does it for me. Well, I know he asked you, how do you get out of the funk? And I want to ask you, are, do you still feel like you're in a funk? You're asking because I left work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no, actually, it's... Or how are you feeling? Or did you feel anything after... I think it's always scary when you leave a job that you've been in for a long time. And when you aren't sure about how much money you're going to make, of course, it's always scary. But what leaving has done for me is that it's like kind of lit a fire under my ass. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I'm I'm coming up with plans. It's like actual fun work now. Mm-hmm. Before, I just felt like I was just going through the motions. Exactly. You know, when you do the same thing every single day for the past 21 years... You kind of do it without even thinking. Exactly. And then sometimes you wish you didn't have to do it. Because, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I you just look, get comfortable, right? right? And I look forward to every day now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I look forward to the projects that I'm working on. I love um, having to do research. I like the planning process and then trying to get there. It just, I think it's always important to have something to work toward. So, so did you have good days and bad days, like? Um, No, actually, I've... I've I think it's because I planned ahead, so nothing would catch me off guard. I wanted to do this. I made plans and everything. Uh, You should listen to our first episode when we talked about midlife career changes. She wasn't prepared. It got so bad for her that she was actually rationing bread slices to make sure her daughters would eat. That's how bad it got for her. Really? And she used to work at TV. You, You know her, Stephanie Medina. Oh. Yeah. I mean, that's like as low as she's ever been, she's right? At, she said she was working at Goodwill or something. Now, yeah. Now she's working um, at, at Goodwill. So you will be amazed at what you're capable of. Yeah. And Is she doing better now? Yes. And she's so much happier. Oh. It's a matter of just having a goal. And I love being excited to do something again. I feel better now that I'm getting out because first when this all happened, I'm like, I feel like I was stuck in a cult, mm-hmm. you know? To me, and I, I told Elsa, I was like, breaking out of prison. Yeah. It's like I've escaped. Exactly. And so there's a real good feeling to being able to get out. So we were talking about interracial dating, ended up talking about a whole bunch of other stuff. Ted Sullivan, Gwen Gotti. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Thanks for watching. Lena Wynn, Unscripted.